1: regarded our planet with envious eyes
0: each of us when separated is always looking for our other
1: half and the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love heart perception will change everything freedom is the privilege to be right freedom from the disasters of our mistakes
2: Casting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, as always, email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings and Twitter, TST underscore underscore radio. For behind the scenes content, as well as my books, our archive, and our affiliate sponsors. Visit our website, thesecretteachings.info, and check it out today. If you'd like to support The Secret Teachings and get the ad-free version of the show, plus access to our montages, our digital book library, including my three books that I've written, edited, published, etc. You can get access to all of that for only $40 right now a special running for Ground Zero Radio listeners, where The Secret Teachings now airs exclusively, our second week here on air. And I am greatly appreciative of all of the support that I've received and I haven't received any uh, hate mail. I haven't received anybody who's yelled at me yet, so that's good. And I really appreciate the uh, the amount of people that have messaged me to tell me what they think of this show in a neutral positive way. I really appreciate that, especially because we've covered such controversial subjects that are not typically talked about in late night radio. And I I feel that you guys have handled it very, very well. And I don't say that from a position of authority or as if I'm on a pedestal. I, I say that as your equal, as a human being. These are subjects we cover some nights that are controversial enough to make my subconscious Ask my conscious mind, why are you saying that? Why are you talking about that? Why are you asking those questions? Don't you know that's dangerous? That's the program, of course, that we all have running in our brains and our minds, based on our religious upbringing, our class upbringing, our upbringing for some, you know, religion, some political viewpoint that sometimes get mi- they get mixed together. And uh, I really appreciate the, the ability of everybody to be mature. That's all I want. I want maturity. I want reason. I want honesty. These are the things that I strive for as a person, and these are the things that I, I look for in other people, whether you're a, a listener or a friend of mine or somebody that I, I've spoken to uh, one or two times. Uh, I, I just want consistency, and honesty. I just want to have a conversation, really. And uh, I really appreciate all of you who have, furthermore, supported this show, subscribed to the archive, bought a copy of one of my books. It's a different archive than Clyde Lewis, so you'll have to subscribe to him separately. Secret Teachings is a separate archive from Ground Zero. But if you don't support this show, we're not on air, and therefore we are unable to bring you controversial subjects that few, if any other, person or radio show we'll discuss or we'll talk about tonight is another one of those subjects which I'm sure by the looks of the promotional picture could be interpreted in five different ten different fifteen different ways off the top of my head it could be considered insensitive derogatory etc but see the artwork for the show is supposed to make you think just as much as the show is And I'm explaining all this to you because when I say things on this show, such as, and this is a statistical fact, did you know that men are statistically, it's almost identical, statistically almost as likely to be sexually assaulted as a woman? Did you know that as a black man or a black woman, you are more likely... 94% 94% of the time to be killed by other black men and other black women. The same goes for white folks. It's about 83-84% of white homicide are a result of white violence. It's virtually all intraracial. Did you know also that men are statistically split with women 50-50 for experiencing domestic violence? It's a 50% split right down the middle in virtually all countries that are developed. When I say those things, that subconscious programming says, you can't say that about black folks or white folks or women or men. You're not allowed to say those things. And see, this is what's happening with any conversation we have in current events, pop culture, whatever is we tell men they're not allowed to talk about their problems. They're supposed to keep those problems bottled up. We're supposed to only listen to women, only believe women, even if they're lying. We're supposed to allow people with different colored skin than ours to tell us how we should live and how we should think and we should get down on a knee and essentially bow to them I mean, where is this stuff actually happening? It's happening in the conversation where white people are apologetic for the color of their skin. And we tell white people they can't speak on certain matters because of the color of their skin. That men can't speak on certain matters because they're men. This is the restriction of free speech. This prevents us from having open dialogue. This is discriminatory. But it's not a systemic policy. You could call it political correctness. Perhaps that's systemic. But if we tell someone they can't speak because of their genitalia or because of how they perceive their genitalia or their sexuality or because they are a certain skin color or even a certain religion, that reeks of authoritarianism. That reeks of thought police. And it's wrong. So we have to be willing to push the boundaries and to ask questions that are not allowed to be asked. And to make statements, even if they are observations and not facts, observations that need to be made. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I've brought this up on the show before. I understand that it's controversial. And when I make an observation, sometimes it's because I I, I truly believe that. And sometimes it's because it just looks like that to me, but I'm not really married to the idea that that's exactly what I'm seeing, but here's a thought I had. I've always thought that the Black Lives Matter group, which is, according to Patrice Cullors, one of the founders, a Marxist group that intends, based on their own website publications, to dismantle, or they use the word disrupt, the Western-prescribed family unit. They also use words like village and raising children in villages as part of a collective. So this is in their own admitted words, Marxism filtering into a very strict form of collectivized communism. This is their own words. This is what they say. But it goes beyond that because what does Black Lives Matter do? I've seen groups of Black Lives Matter protesters, and I've had other people who have seen this and told me, screaming at black police officers, and these BLM protesters are virtually all white, screaming at black police officers that they're the problem. I've seen black folks who don't support BLM, and they tell me they're terrified to even say anything because white people, along with some of their friends who might be black or darker skinned, will call them Uncle Toms. They'll make fun of them. They'll degrade them. I have a friend back in Rochester, New York, and she said... Even in her community, in her black communities, an older black lady, she told me that when you speak in the community about getting a nicer place to live or getting out of the hood, that all the people that she knows, because she was trying to buy a house the last time I spoke to her, she said that everybody that she knew was just, you know, you're a sellout, you're a traitor to your own race, you might as well be white. And this woman's black as can be. And, she, and I said, why do you think that is? She said, because people want to be victims. They want to live in that perpetual victimhood. They want to collect their free stuff, and they don't want to take responsibility. And I said, that's exactly what I've been saying. So, so you're seeing the same thing firsthand. And it's, it's, it's a weird thing, because it almost borders on mind control, where if you're of a certain race or a certain sex, a certain gender, a certain identification, certain political view... You're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to have a point of view, so much so that even within your own group, if you shut your mouth, you'd be accepted. But to ask questions that critique the status quo, even in your own group, you will be excommunicated. You're not a good black person. If you are Jewish and you say, I don't support the imperialist state of Israel, then suddenly you're anti-Semitic and you're, quote, a self-hating Jew. If you are White and you say, I'm okay being white, I'd never really thought about it, but I'm okay being white, suddenly you're a racist and you're a slave owner. That's what's projected onto you. And that is so patently false, so absurd, so nonsensical, so asinine, that it is truly stressful to me that I must sit here this evening and share my point of view on this subject with you. Because if you go back to those white people screaming at black police officers as a microcosm of the macrocosm, you might think of the Ku Klux Klan. I firmly believe, prove me wrong, I don't care, but in the same vein, at least, I firmly believe that BLM is the KKK. There's a difference, though, of course. The KKK were mostly white Democrat politicians, who harassed and terrorized black folks, but they also harassed and terrorized white folks who did not support the idea that blacks were property or that blacks belonged to whites or in the idea of white supremacy. And BLM does a very, very, very similar thing. Even if you go to historychannel.com, It'll tell you that the Ku Klux Klan waged an underground campaign of intimidation and violence directed at white and black Republican leaders. That's a quote from History.com. BLM does the same thing. They just do it slightly different. Instead of being mostly white and politically speaking Democrat politicians and, and powerful people, BLM is mostly disenfranchised, uninformed, predominantly white people who are using the BLM fist to advance what they say is social justice and equality for black folks, whether they agree or not. So you basically have a bunch of white people talking for black folks, even if those black folks are police officers and they have a good job and they've been been successful in life. That doesn't matter. They need to be drawn back down to the place in which they belong, according to BLM, and that is servitude to this ideology so while BLM goes after white and black people for disagreeing the KKK went after black and white people for disagreeing that blacks were property that blacks were slaves and that blacks were inherently inferior to whites did you know that thousands of white people were lynched there's a historical record from the Tuskegee Institute Recording between 1882 and 1968, there were 3,446 black folks that were lynched. There were also 1,297 white folks that were lynched. Now that's a dramatically different story than what we've been led to believe in the media, that black people only are lynched. When in fact, white people were lynched at about one out of every four lynchings. Now, you don't have to think that that's important or significant, but here's the thing that really intrigues me. If we have a single person, historically, who is white, who spoke an abolition of slavery, for example, then we should be able to compare and contrast that with the idea that all white people are bad because less than 1% Around 1% of the population at any given time owned physical property in human beings that were of dark skin. If I'm guilty because of my skin color, because of something someone who I'm not even related to did to someone else I'm not related to, then because someone else I'm also not related to who has the same color skin as me, who spoke in abolition of that abhorrent practice of slavery, I should at least be given that that out, or should I still be blamed for what a handful of people did historically because of the color of my skin? And see, this is the strange thing. There's a word that never gets used. It's called samboism. Samboism is an act in which black folks embrace stereotypes and a servile attitude toward whites because it's part of the stereotyping in culture and society. But it strangely seems that today, white people are taking a similar view of themselves. This is what I call white Samboism. Instead of black people seeing white people as kings and emperors and masters, we now see black people as kings and queens, and we wish to become subservient to them in some form of misappropriation of social justice. This is, again, white Samboism. And since some argue that a single white slaveholder means that all whites are guilty, then by logical deduction we may declare that a single white abolitionist is cause for the abolition of white guilt. See, here's the thing that they won't tell you. Slavery has been the conditional state of existence for virtually all people throughout all of human history, not just in the United States. However, in the United States, such a human atrocity, such a stain on the human race, was long ago cleansed by much suffering, war, and bloodshed of both blacks and whites. Remember, white people were lynched alongside of black people for refusing to participate in the ideology of white supremacy. Just the idea that blacks were property, white people were lynched because they held those beliefs. And I ask you, is that something you've ever heard before? Because it's very well documented. Have you ever heard that white people were lynched alongside of blacks? Have you ever thought that if somebody in the past with a certain color skin owning somebody else as a piece of property who has a different color skin, if that makes all people today guilty by skin pigmentation association, then don't you think that those members of Congress, members of the Senate... Various politicians, business people, and just average white country folk who disagreed with the institution of slavery, who acted to abolish it long before Abraham Lincoln ever said, we're emancipating the slaves. Don't you think that that would warrant a dissolving of that so-called white guilt? See, we're not supposed to ask these questions because these questions imply that the narrative is more than lopsided. The narrative is absurd and false. Doesn't make any sense. Slavery has been the conditional state of existence for virtually all people throughout the history of the world, and it still is to this day in large part. Israel, South Africa, large parts of Any part of the world, South America, uh, the Middle East, Asia. Slaves are still a a thing today. Look at Somalia. They make money on the slave trade today. And here in the United States, where it seems to be the only place people are concerned with this history, uh, an atrocity that was long ago cleansed By the blood of both blacks and whites, whites fought alongside of blacks and blacks alongside of whites to, in some respect, end the institution of slavery. But that's not what the Civil War was really about. We're going to talk about that tonight. And this is a bond that should unite cultures in acceptable harmony while allowing them to still maintain their history, independence, and, if by choice, seclusion and privacy. Because if a group of people feel more comfortable by themselves, and it's it's a white group of people, we say that's racism. But if a group of black people feel more comfortable by themselves, we say that that's, that's okay and acceptable. It's a massive double standard. So desirable or otherwise, attempting to classify history by our current definitions, expectations, and social norms is really a condemnation of ourselves as a whole since we all eventually fall victim in the near future to the ignorance of the present, which becomes the past. The American Revolution against the British with the assistance of the French was not fought to maintain slavery any more than the Civil War was fought exclusively to end it. History is anything but polarized and dualistic. It's anything but black and white. There really aren't winners and and losers. There are those who come out on top and those that come out slightly less than on top, but nobody really wins, especially when we're talking about a war, right? We're told that the Civil War was fought over slavery, that Abraham Lincoln emancipated the slaves. There's a big, giant statue of Abraham Lincoln in Boise, Idaho, where I used to live, and they have a little uh, chapel with African-American history. And I always walked by that, Little chapel and that Abraham Lincoln statue. And I remember a famous quote from Abraham Lincoln. Famous statement he made on the subject of race. Tell me if this is the Abraham Lincoln that you read about in school. I will say then that I am not nor ever have been in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the whites. In 1862, he proclaimed, quote, My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union, the struggle of the Civil War. If I could save the Union without freeing the slaves, I would do it. If I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. The Civil War was not fought over slavery. It's a much more complex issue than that. Slavery was in the middle of what the main issue was. Sure. Southern states chose to secede because northern states had moved to at least attempt to begin the process of abolition. But there were many people in the South, a lot of people in the South, who did not agree with the institution of slavery, much like there were people in the North who agreed, like Abraham Lincoln, that as long as the war could be over and civility could be returned and the union could be saved they did not care much if slaves remained slaves or if slaves were freed emancipating slaves was a last ditch effort to save the union from dissolving and we're not told that in school we're told this cherry-picked fanciful black and white story of a tall guy with a cap on that said you know that who says uh, i'm going to emancipate the slaves and Uh, and and he gives us Gettysburg address and we think that's that's history which it is but it's a very small piece of history very small piece of history economics including slavery was a much bigger part and we need to discuss what this means because this weekend is Juneteenth a celebration of the freeing of African Americans from the bonds of slavery we need to put this all into perspective and we're going to do that tonight of the secret teachings there's more after this stay with us The Secret Teachings Radio Show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us
1: and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. This is David Icke from DavidIcke.com, author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: From Ground Zero to The Secret Teachings, Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. You could listen to this.
0: And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no
2: evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it.
0: I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed a generalist.
2: That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new
0: Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live.
2: Your host Ryan Gable and this is the Secret Teachings Radio. Samboism is an act in which black people embrace stereotypes and a servile attitude towards white people because it's, well, it's part of the stereotype of, of of the culture of society. And it would strangely seem today that white people are taking a similar view of themselves. This is what I call white samboism where White people are seeing black people as kings and queens while they are positioning themselves on a knee, in some cases quite literally, to be subservient in some misplaced sense, some misappropriation of social justice. And some people argue that a single white slaveholder in America's past means that all whites are guilty today by association. This is what we call genetic guilt, and it was one of the primary driving factors Uh, In the communist takeover of China. If your relatives were capitalists and nationalists, you were guilty by association genetically, genetic guilt. But if a single white slave owner means all whites are guilty, then by logical deduction, we may declare that a single white abolitionist is cause for the abolition of white guilt. We could further declare that if a black person owned slaves at that time, which there were cases of black people who were very wealthy who owned slaves. That would mean all black people today would thus be guilty of slavery as well. And by a single case, I'm owed reparations because of the color of my skin. It's quite absurd, don't you think? It's quite absurd when you think about it in these details. Especially because slavery has been and continues to be the main stay the conditional state of existence for virtually every single culture on this planet and has been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And here in the United States, this human atrocity, this human cultural stain was cleansed by suffering, war, and the sweat and blood of both blacks and whites who fought to end the institution once and for all. This is a bond that should unite cultures in harmony, not tear them apart, but they don't tell you that blacks and whites fought alongside each other or blacks and whites marched during the civil rights marches with King. They don't tell you that of the 4,000 plus black people that have been lynched between 1880-1880, in 1968, according to the Tuskegee Institute, about 4,000, maybe it's a little under 4,000, I think it's like 3,500, there were around 12 to 1,300 white people that were also lynched. Why were those white people lynched? Because they refused to submit to the idea that certain white people were superior to all black people. They refused to submit to the idea that some some white rich landowner was a superior race when comparing themselves to a black person. So white people were lynched too. And this is what the Black Lives Matter group does. It's predominantly made of, of, of white people, it would seem. Everything I've seen, every rally I've seen, pictures I've seen, it's almost all white people. But they attack black people ...as well if they don't agree. So if you're black, you fit in. Just like if you were white in the South, you fit in. But as soon as you spoke against the institution of slavery, you could be lynched as well. You would be hunted down as well. And that's what BLM does. Except it's not a white movement, it's a black movement that will attack black people for stepping out of line. Like the Ku Klux Klan was a white terrorist movement... That would attack white people for stepping out of line. The Civil War that we've all been told was fought strictly over the institution of slavery. Is not at all correct. It's not even close to correct. Slavery was a part of it. But see what happened was the southern states started to secede from the Union. And war did not start immediately. There were... Long debates in Congress, there were long debates in the streets, there were people that were pro-secession, anti-secession, pro-slavery, anti-slavery, pro-union, anti-union, and people had a variety of different viewpoints on, on what was potentially coming, which at the time they thought maybe there could be a civil war, but we'd like to avert war. Very few people wanted to go to war. And there were just as many people in the North who believed that slavery should be protected but they wanted to preserve the Union and therefore many that believed slavery should be protected in order to save the Union had to deal with the reality that the only way that the Union could be saved is if slavery was ended as an institution because otherwise the more slaves the more free white people were to pick up their guns and go to battle. Plus, when they went to battle, it would allow their farms to still be productive. Where in the North, somebody grabbing their gun and going into battle meant a loss of production. So economics was a huge factor in the Civil War. And of course, the issue of property rights and slaves was at the core of that. There's no doubt about it. But the main driving force behind the war was the preservation of the Union. If southern states had agreed to remain in the Union, slavery likely would never have been eliminated as a conditional state for a lot, not all, but a lot of black folks, because a lot of black folks were also free at the time. It was an issue of politics. It was an issue of economics. And once again, we cannot, we cannot look into history and define history and how people spoke then in the same way we do now. Whether it's desirable or otherwise, attempting to classify history with current definitions, social norms, cultural expectations, it's the condemnation of ourselves because we will eventually fall victim in the very near future to the same ignorance That is present in the present, which will become the past from the future vantage point. And therefore, the American Revolution was not fought to maintain slavery any more than the Civil War was fought exclusively to end it. This is something I never understood. People say that America, the United States of America, this is the most racist, bigoted place that's ever existed on the planet. Are you kidding me? Go to Somalia today. They literally make their money in human trafficking. This is an issue all over the world. Human trafficking, men, women, children, black, white, Asian, Mexican, it doesn't matter. Slavery has been and will unfortunately likely remain one of the dominant economic driving factors in the world. Where do you think your Nikes and Apple products are made? They're made by literal slaves in either sweatshops, factories that are akin to concentration camps and gulags with suicide nets. They're made in third world countries where the labor is cheap, where basically it's slave labor. This is today, right now. Not yesterday, not a hundred years ago. This is right now. And in the United States of America, we have a history in which sure, there's the scar of slavery. But why do you think, even in the black and white historical manner in which we've been told the story of the Civil War. Why do you think there was a Civil War then? If a single white slave owner makes me guilty today of white supremacy and white privilege and white guilt, I should have, then a single white person in those days who was an abolitionist should alleviate me of that guilt. And in the same way, there were black people who owned slaves, so shouldn't that mean that black people also need to pay reparations to white people? That kind of sounds insane, doesn't it? How about we just don't pay reparations t- to anybody because that's that's the same form of a genetic guilt that was used to literally grab, squeeze, and crumble the last remaining social structural pillars of the Chinese system once the communists took over. You're a nationalist you're a communist, doesn't really matter because if your ancestors, if you're communist, your ancestors were nationalists, your parents were nationalists, you still might get executed. So the goal of the Civil War was not to free slaves, and in fact, Abraham Lincoln even said that. The goal was to preserve the Union. Abraham Lincoln said, I will say then that I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. I as much as any other man am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. My paramount object in this struggle, the Civil War, is to save the Union. If I could save the Union without freeing any slaves, I would do it. If I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would do also, or I would also do that. See, it wasn't just about slavery. And in fact, Abraham Lincoln was very reluctant to even act on the issue of slavery. One slave-owning unionist, John Crittenden of Kentucky, said, quote, we have declared that this war is not for the subjugation of the South, not for the overthrow of slavery, not for the overthrow of their social institutions, but simply for the noble purpose of restoring our country. Let us do no act that shall degrade this struggle. However, there were others in the North, who did not want to see the institution of slavery persist. One corporal from Vermont is quoted as saying, quote, we see plenty of slaves and I am heartily sick of it. And God speed the time when the Negro shall be free and on his own side of the Atlantic. Well, that's interesting. By that quote, some people believed that slavery was abhorrent, but they wished to see black folks set free so they could be sent Back to where they came from that's not some xenophobic thing these black people literally were african americans they were brought from africa right and then certain people here in our country in the united states wanted to see them sent back to where they came from because that's actually where they came from it's not a derogatory statement others like jim lane of kansas said I want to see, so soon as it can be done constitutionally, these two races separated, an ocean rolling between, that South America, the Elysium of the colored man, this the asylum of the white. Now, you could say, well, that's racist, and maybe it is. That's not really the point. The point is, you would think, based on what we've been taught in history, the Civil War was about slavery, you either were pro-slavery or anti-slavery, and that's pretty much all that we've been told. But what we've learned so far is Abraham Lincoln was not in favor of equality between blacks and whites. Abraham Lincoln was also not a Democrat. He was a Republican. We also know that Abraham Lincoln used emancipation as the final card to dismantle the economic powerhouse of the South. And we also know that the South was an economic powerhouse because of slavery. And that was a threat to the North. The North did not have the cheap labor that the South had. So on economic terms, this was a much larger issue. Slavery was just in the middle of it. And it was a normal condition at the time. To speak against it could destroy your political career. To speak against it, you could lose your job, you could lose everything. Not just in politics, but in business. This was the way that people thought, and we can't look at those people today and think, well, they're just a bunch of heathens, because 30 years from now, hell, five years from now, hell, we can look back two years ago and think, why did we put masks on? Why did we lock ourselves in our homes? We become the ignorant heathens of the past, so we have to be very careful in the present that we don't allow ourselves to become victim to these types of things. However, there were others who, they weren't pro-slavery, and although they might have been anti-slavery as this Vermont corporal or Jim Lane of Kansas, you have to look at people like Lyman Trumbull. Lyman Trumbull was literally the architect of the 13th Amendment. Lyman Trumbull, if you've never seen the man, Lyman Trumbull was a white man. Lyman Trumbull was an exceptional legal analyst and scholar and he authored an amendment to the Constitution that abolished slavery in 1865. So by the ancestral lineage of Lyman Trumbull, my white guilt is absolved. I'm not guilty of anything and neither are you. Lyman Trimble said, any persons claiming to be entitled to the service or labor of any other person, that is, slave owners, who put their bondsmen in the service of the rebellion in any way by digging trenches or erecting fortifications, for example, they should forfeit their ownership. And we should basically abolish any law to the contrary. Lyman Trimble did not believe in the institution of slavery. Lyman Trimble did not advocate for black folks being sent to Africa from where they literally came. He advocated for equality in society. A little bit more cautiously than Lyman Trimble was John Sherman. John Sherman said, rather than see one single foot of this country of ours torn from the national domain by traitors, he refers to the southern secession states, I will myself see slaves set free. But at the same time, I utterly disclaim any purpose of that kind. So people like John Sherman said he's not really advocating for slavery to be abolished. He simply wants to see the Union preserved, and he will do whatever he takes, whatever it takes, even if that means abolishing the institution of slavery, which was basically a death sentence to comment on, especially in politics. He said, I'm not intending to do this, but if it means saving the Union this is what we will do. We will end the institution of slavery. When you read these people and their and their statements and their quotes and their speeches and I know that a lot of us think, well, they're just a bunch of ignorant white people too. I, I, I find that attitude, that dismissive, arrogant, pompous, boyish attitude to not only be to not only be simply wrong and, and, and asinine but I see it to be a, a driving force in cultural, class racial, etc. division because all white people are just bad because of what happened in history, really? Well, by that definition, all black people are bad all Christians are bad all Muslims are bad, all Jews are bad everybody in history is bad I mean, didn't the Egyptians they were black. Didn't they have slaves? Didn't they keep the the Israelite slaves? If you read about the the Hyksos reign, Hyksos, Hyko, Heiko, I think it's Hyksos, um, they held slaves in Egypt. If you read about the history, there were actually Israelites or Hebrews, desert wanderers, who actually came into Egypt and enslaved part of the Egyptians, and then the Egyptians enslaved them. It's, it's so literally you had you had. Jewish people enslaving black people, and then you had black people enslaving Jewish people. This is the conditional state of existence throughout the history of the world, folks. Everywhere, throughout all of human history, this is how people have lived. But something different happened in what we call, collectively, America. Yes, the first colony was founded in Jamestown, Virginia, in sixteen. Zero seven. And if you read the story of the 1619 the uh, project, you notice some glaring, bizarre, strange claims that are just so absurd that it's literally like I've read it and it's it's laugh out loud like any historian will be able to pick it apart. Any moderate historian, simpleton historian can pick it apart. So in 1607, now why did those people found that colony at Jamestown in 1607? Because they were escaping religious persecution and monarchical persecution. Many of the people who settled in the New World came to escape religion uh, being persecuted, their religions being persecuted. The pilgrims, founders of Plymouth, Massachusetts, arrived in 1620, In both Virginia and Massachusetts, the colonists flourished with some assistance from the Native Americans. They don't like to tell you that either, that a lot of Native people actually got along with the colonists. This is a well-known historical fact. If you go back even further, way before the 1600s, you go back to the 1300s, um, it is very, very likely, and it is believed in a lot of uh, academic circles now, I'm a believer in this, based on what I've read and seen, that Templars... White Europeans came to what we call America long before it was America, although there was a name for this place. It was called Le Lamerca, L- means like star from the, the west or land from the west, like coming, going west, to, to, and that's what you find, that, that land. And there's also a South American name. I mean, it's it's South America. It's America. There's a bunch of different um, uh, names. America of the Spoochie, right? That's supposedly part of the name. So there's a lot of different rewrites of history, but you had white Europeans coming here and they they made they made contracts, they made deals, they made relationships, they made families with the natives. Those white European Templars that came here. There are some native tribes who have blonde hair and blue eyes or some combination thereof. They traded. They mated. They had families. And, and, and you know, people say, well, they they were they were raping and taking, you know, women and there was no rights for any it's like, Okay, you understand that that's, for all intents and purposes, how the entire world worked. White people did not invent that. Neither did black people or native people. That's how the world has always worked. But if you go back far enough, look at the Essene community. Thousands of years ago, the, the true Jesus Christ was supposedly in an Essene. And that community professed that women and men were equal. So this is not a new idea That civil rights and social justice is is finally figuring out. This is something that has been going on since the time of Christ. Groups, including the Templars later, understood this, that they held the feminine in in, in great respect. So here's my question. You know that whole January 6th thing? They say, oh, it's an insurrection. Let me go to the dictionary. Let me find the word insurrection and let me read it. You go to the dictionary, find the word insurrection and read it. An insurrection, by definition, is when you attempt to overthrow the government. It's a violent uprising against an authority. You would think in order to process and organize a violent uprising against government, you would need guns, some kinds of weapons, right? Not just Trump flags. So hysterica, uh, hysteria, yes. So hysteria and emotionally driven reflex responses to... Crowd controls and where the mob is going, sure, but not an insurrection. And in, in, in the same way, those colonists in Jamestown, those colonists in Plymouth, if they had intended to bring slavery to this new land, don't you think they would have brought slaves with them? If the goal was to create a new slave colony, they would have probably brought slaves with them. Why did it take From the first settlement at Jamestown, the first colony, why did it take 12 years for the first African-Americans to arrive here intentionally to become slaves? Even the original 1619 project, when you read it, the woman that wrote it is like, it came as a surprise, this boat. Well, if they intended to make it a slave colony, how did the boat carrying slaves come as a surprise? Wouldn't they have been expecting it? Wouldn't they have brought black folks over on these ships to begin with? No, because it was the conditional state of human beings at the time as it is today. Ask the Uyghurs, ask those people in Somalia, ask the Palestinians. There's different forms of slavery and and, and this needs to be hammered down. This needs to be rolled out. We need to have this discussion and, and, and I hope that tonight you understand sincerely where I am coming from, and you understand the point that I am trying to make. I'm not trying to get you to believe something. I'm not dismissing slavery. It's fine. It's asinine when people suggest that. What I'm saying is, Samboism is the act where black people embrace stereotypes and a servile attitude towards whites, and now we have white people that are doing the same towards blacks in some misappropriation, some mis. Directed sense of social justice. And I ask you the question if a single white slaveholder, totally nameless, means all whites are guilty, then someone like Lyman Trimble, who said that the institution of slavery should be abolished, he did not advocate for sending blacks back to Africa, literally African Americans back to Africa. He said this institution needs to be abolished. And this was prior to and leading up to and during the Civil War. And he is the author of the 13th Amendment. So that's a faced person. We can see that person in history. You can see Lyman Trimble's picture. You can read what he wrote in the 13th Amendment. He was white. So shouldn't that absolve white folks of that inherent genetic guilt? That Marxist declaration that because your ancestors did something, you're guilty? Hey, by that standard... Black people are as guilty as white people because black people own slaves. Black people are selling other black people today in Somalia. Slavery has been the conditional state of existence for virtually all people throughout history, period. And in the United States, this human atrocity was cleansed over and over again by suffering war and bloodshed of both blacks and whites. And this is a bond that should unite culture, not rip it apart. So tonight on the show, as we proceed into hour number two, I'm going to take you deeper into the Civil War and I'm going to share with you things about the Civil War and about civil rights and due process and all sorts of other goodies including uh, an interesting an interesting little thing written by William Penn who chartered this uh, charter of privileges in 1701. White man, strong advocate against the abolition of slavery. Did you know that though? No, probably not because history doesn't teach us that. Unless we go looking for it. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this. R.D. Gable at yahoo.com. The Secret Thesecretteachings.info. www.thesecretteachings.info is the website. Please subscribe. Please buy one of my books. It's a separate archive from Clyde Lewis. When you support us, we stay on air. It's $40 for a year. Go check it out today. Donate as friends and family on PayPal. We'll get your account set up. And you can get into the archive and listen to all of our shows after... They air, download, and stream them. The montages, my digital books as well. Stay with us. There's a lot more after this.
1: This is Linda Godfrey, author of Monsters Among Us, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio.
0: Release the Kraken!
2: You could listen to this...
0: And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence... (laughs)
1: Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. And you're listening to the secret teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host Ryan Gable.
0: Think about your hero When you're at Ground Zero and crawl out to the follow back to me
2: Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero radio Hey Da.
1: I'm tired of it. You, me, all of us. We're all out there dying so they can stay rich. Taxgalectics coming around here, taking everything. We'll have nothing for the winner. Girls, you know how to shoot one of these? It's quite normal you got there. Last time I checked the gun, don't care who's pulling the trigger. You know they shoot deserters, don't you? <laughs> Runaways? Please, you. I'm gonna die so they can get selling cotton. That's why we left them. <laughs> <laughs> no man ought to tell another man what he's got to live for or what he's got to die for. I don't have the patience with five or six deserters hiding out in the swamp. You ready? <laughs> Just hang them. See anything? He's out there. He won't miss this. This fight's for our children and their children's children. And this day forward, we declare the land north of the Pascagoula Swamps to be a free state of Jones. They're poor farmers, deserters, who, frankly, sir, don't have much to lose. The winds are shifting. You can't fight with
2: this time. I'm Ryan Gable. There's plenty left to fight for. And this is The Secret Teachings Radio, Monday through Friday here on Ground Zero Radio. Tonight, I've titled the show White Samboism. For those of you who don't know, Samboism is an act in which black folks or actual African Americans from Africa embrace stereotypes that other cultures see them as. And they specifically take on a stereotype that makes them servile toward white people. Some people think that's a very derogatory term and certainly implies as such. But it's strange because today it seems like white people are taking a similar view of themselves, seeing all black people as kings and queens while they remain subservient to a misappropriation and a misunderstood form of social justice. Some people argue that a single white slaveholder who is nameless and faceless means that all white people are guilty today in a form of Marxist genetic guilt. That if your ancestors are capitalists, you must also be guilty of capitalism and nationalism, even if you are a good member of the Communist Party of China. So, by logical deduction, we may declare that a single white abolitionist is cause for the abolition of white guilt as well. And there are plenty of them that we can name and we can put a face to, including the author of the 13th Amendment, which abolished the institution of slavery. Lyman Trumbull believed that slavery was abhorrent. And he fought to end the institution of slavery and, again, wrote the 13th Amendment. Others, like John Sherman, was a little bit more cautious, but he stated, rather than see one single foot of this country of ours torn from the national domain by traitors, I will myself see slaves set free, but at the same time I utterly disclaim any purpose of that kind we have to understand that at the time making a statement in opposition to slavery even an implication of such by action or speech or or debate or any of the thing of the sort was indicative of was indicative of the times you would be either attacked verbally or physically you could lose your position in in power you could say goodbye to your political career, say goodbye to your business, your business connections, slavery was protected because of powerful, wealthy owners in the same way that many institutions today that we disagree with. uh, We don't don't like income taxes. We We don't maybe like the Federal Reserve, but what much can we do about it? These are powerful, small groups of people that have society in a vice. And that's what slavery was. You notice that when people do really bad things, it's kind of like Batman. People do really bad things. Batman has still has a code. You, you don't kill. But you're pushed to the brink of having to become as, as evil as those things that you fight. You either live long enough to see yourself become the villain, or you die a hero. And history is ripe with this. And our view of history, where we look at what people say, we look at what people did, we look at events, and we expect to define it in the same way we define things today. We expect with expectation that the past molds to the present. And that is a condemnation of ourselves because we're going to fall victim to that perceived historical ignorance and bias and bigotry and all those other things We're going to fall victim to that in the very near future, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, 10 years, 50 years from now. Looking back in the past, we will be looked at as just as ignorant as our ancestors were. But not all of them were ignorant. The Essene community of which the real true Jesus or Yeshua was a a member of 2,000 years ago believed in the equality of men and women. The Knights Templar, The Knights Templar came to the Americas in the 1300s, it's roughly estimated, and made deals with the native tribes, had families with the native tribes. It's strange when we look at, let's say, Native Americans, for example, and um, I've always been interested in uh, learning about my heritage because apparently I have uh, quite a bit of uh, Native American lineage, and um, it's like, Blackfoot is is the main tribe. Um, but I don't... That's like maybe the first time I've mentioned that on air. I don't go around bragging about it. It's just It's just like I also have German, English, and a bunch of other ancestry. You know, it's... Am I guilty of what English people have done? German people have done? Like, am I also guilty of what Native people have done? L- like I said, if one white person in the past owning slaves mean all white people are guilty today through some genetic associative guilt, does that mean a black person owned slaves in the past, does that make all black people today guilty? Because there were black people in those days who owned slaves. They were rich and wealthy. That was a thing. That happened. So does that mean all black people are guilty? So if I'm looking into the past and I'm looking at um, certain atrocities that were no doubt carried out against native populations, we also have to understand that there's context missing there were plenty of, of raids on Native American settlements and communities that were only a result of Native tribes initiating the violence. And this is hard to get across to people because they're like, oh, that means you're justifying it? No, no you don't understand. I'm saying that there were some pieces of history in which Native Americans attacked colonists first, these were different tribes than those that colonists say at Plymouth or Jamestown had made deals with, and uh, they attacked first, or they they were you know they were stealing things, attacking people. So those colonists fought back, and this, I mean, it's not a. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm, I'm saying that you understand it's not black and white. You understand that Native tribes were scalping each other, raping each other. Killing each other, stealing from each other. I've always said Native Americans weren't like meditating and and levitating in the air as these perfect beings. And here comes the evil, barbaric white man to kill them. That's just ridiculous propaganda. It's it's the same kind of a thing like prior to World War One, the, the the German people were seen and, and Germany as a country was seen. You know, Deutschland was this this. This fantasy world, with castles and all these beautiful things, and then after World War One begins, all this horrific propaganda starts coming out about how the the Germans are making soap out of their victims and they're making lamps out of uh, their 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 victims' skin and fat. And you you think that's a World War Two claim? No, that goes back to World War One. They were people were claiming the Germans were bayoneting babies and then carrying the babies on the bayonet into war. And it was a similar thing that happened uh, during the Civil War here in the states. People claim that the the Confederates were doing all these terrible, terrible things, and uh, they had to be stopped. I mean, that's and the South said the same thing about the North. It's this is that 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 historical. I call it data, you know, information that we're not privy to in school. It's not part of the curriculum to learn that there is more than one side to things. There's more than one point of view. And if you're teaching kids in in school, especially in college, that everything is one sided, then they're clearly going to have a one sided viewpoint. And they're going to think that their ancestors are all evil, that this country is a terrible place to live and that everybody's racist unless you agree with some terrorist group like BLM. If you agree with that group that the family should be abolished when black communities have historically been devastated by the lack of fathers in the household, if you agree with a Black Lives Matter group claiming that they're Marxists that want to destroy the family structure, then that's cool. But if you disagree, even if you're black, suddenly you're a racist and an Uncle Tom. That's not fair. And that's certainly not free speech. That is the restriction of free speech. That is thought crime. Is what that is men can't speak about certain issues white people can't speak about certain issues Hell, there are certain things that any group can't speak about you know if you speak about Israel even if you're Jewish they call you a self-hating Jew everything is like reduced to this black and white fallacy you're either with us or you're with the terrorists and 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 history is not that simplistic it's not that easy to, to break down in fact. Abraham Lincoln, for example. Abraham Lincoln was a conservative, more like a moderate at the time. He was not a Democrat. And his goal was to save the Union. It was not to emancipate slaves. And he even said this. I will say then that I am not nor ever have been in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. He said that in 1858. Four years later, he said, my paramount object In this struggle, the Civil War, is to save the Union. If I could save the Union without freeing any slaves, I would do it. If I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. So people like Lincoln used slavery as a political tool to defeat the South. In the same way that there were plenty of people, people like Jim Lane of Kansas, who said, I want to see, quote, I want to see so soon as it can be done constitutionally, these two races separated, an ocean rolling between them. In other words, he wanted to see the institution of slavery ended so that these slaves could be sent back to where they were taken from. You can call that, oh, it's xenophobic. You don't understand the context of what's being said here. To say something like that in those days was considered heresy. To some, it was considered treason, enough to secede from the union and to dissolve the Union entirely. To say something in those days, even like that, was considered an assault on this powerful group of wealthy uh, 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 landowners who had slaves. And you understand that, whether you agree with it or not, slaves at the time were considered property. Yes, I agree. They're human beings. They're not property. I, I get that. But at the time, that's not what people thought. So to speak about eliminating the institution of slavery was to speak about eliminating property rights. And and, and the thing is, there were were many people that took payouts from the federal government to, uh, to get rid of their slaves, to emancipate them. In fact, a little piece of history that is not known is way before Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. There was an offer by the by the district of columbia to free some of the 3000 or so slaves and the people that would let them go would be compensated so if you took money then the slaves would be would be emancipated and this was actually done in the district of columbia this actually happened abraham lincoln signed a joint resolution offering compensation to uh to uh to those slave owners and to border states, if you let your slaves go, you'll get paid. And at the time, none of the border states took it, but in Washington, uh, D.C., uh, slaves, a lot of slaves that that were at the time um owned, they were they were basically bought and freed. And and you understand that that was the federal government doing this. This this was Congress doing this. So. If you think, oh, the United States, the evil, horrible races. <laughs> Hold on a second. You, you understand that the the resolution to free slaves and, and to pay people for their slaves to free them wasn't acted by Congress, mostly by a handful of, at the time, for the first time, powerful Republicans in the House and in the Senate. A lot of congressmen and a lot of senators had actually... Abandoned their posts because of of the states that they represented seceding from the Union. Congress abolished the institution of slavery, or at least began that process long before Abraham Lincoln ever gave some emancipation proclamation. People like Lyman Trimble. Lyman Trimble is the author of the 13th Amendment. A white man who was not pro-slavery he was not anti-slavery but send black people back to where they were stolen from he was a believer in the equality of races and having everybody live you know together but you do also have to ask the question you know don't you think it's fair for some people in those days to be concerned that freeing slaves would maybe be a very dangerous thing I'm not arguing that, but I'm saying think about it from that perspective, from that context, from that time period, especially people that wanted to free slaves, but thought if we do this, all this hatred, all this violence, like they're they're just going to if we give them arms, they're going to kill us, you know, and I don't want that to happen. I want to protect my family. There was an anti-slavery sentiment enacted by Thomas Jefferson decades before. Jefferson tried to get slavery banned in Virginia. Oh, he owned slaves. I understand he owned slaves. That's kind of the point. That's what makes it more incredible. Thomas Jefferson did own slaves. He treated them far better than slaves. He treated them as, 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 as equals. But the thing is, he also advocated to free slaves. But again, politically, like if you own slaves and you were this powerful, rich white guy and you were dealing with other powerful rich guys, white guys who owned slaves, if you were like, I'm going to I'm gonna get rid of my slaves, I'm going to get rid of them, emancipate them, I'm going to advocate for the destruction of your personal property as well, and all your businesses, and all your money, and your wealth, and your property, like, uh, that probably isn't going to go over very well. So some people, like Jefferson, played a little bit of a game. Just like people like Lyman Trimble, who was much more outspoken about it decades later. Missouri Republican Frank Blair Jr. is a really fascinating quote by by this uh, by this member of Congress, Frank Blair Jr. Here's what he said. He said, quote, we could not emancipate the slaves of the South and maintain them in the condition of free men upon the soil of these United States without the presence of an immense army sufficient to prevent the white race from re enslaving the black and by waging a constant war upon the people of our race for the protection of the black race. Think about that for a second. This, this was the fear at the time. Even if we freed the slaves, we'd have to have immense military power, immense federal power to prevent, quote, the white race from re-enslaving the black, end quote. And also from the waging of a war on other white people by white people to protect black people. This was a fear at the time and this is something that you're not taught in history class. The month was April month was April when Congress voted to end slavery in the District of Columbia. Congress voted by two to one in both houses to free the capital slaves in the first outright act of emancipation by the federal government in the nation's history. Did you learn that in history class? Congress, both houses voted to end slavery in the District of Columbia where they had direct authority to legislate without the Constitution being argued and debated over, they they freed those slaves in the District of Columbia. Now, again, the Civil War was not fought directly over slavery, it was fought over property rights slavery, but as Abraham Lincoln said, uh, and many others said, they, they wished to see the Union preserved. They wished to see the Union preserved because the same issue came up before and during the Civil War that came up during the Constitutional Convention, and that was the issue of what rights, if any, do slaves have? And if slaves have no rights, if black people have no rights, then how is it that southern states could count them as people for representation in the House of Representatives? So this little thing happened called the Three-Fifths Compromise. And people say, well, the three-fifths compromise. Oh, my God. It's actually in the Constitution. It's racist. On the contrary, once again, we've been told the opposite of reality. The three-fifths compromise was a compromise between small states and big states, slaveholders and non-slaveholders, abolitionists and those that were pro-slavery, during the Constitutional Convention, long before the Civil War, where slave states Or those that were advocates for slave states were arguing that, well, they have more people, so they should get more representation in Congress, right? And others said, no, that's not right, because you don't consider black people to be people, so you can't count them as a full person. And if you do, this is the argument, that'll just give the South perpetual, everlasting authority over the federal government And this will become a slave nation. So they agreed that slaves would be counted as three-fifths of a person. And even as three-fifths of a person, the Democratic South dominated Congress for decades. And it wasn't until right before the Civil War that the Republicans got power for the first time. And Congress voted in both houses to emancipate slaves in the District of Columbia, which is a shot across the bow that if you don't rejoin the Union and end this tiptoeing around war, even though the North wasn't necessarily any more prepared than the South, this is going to be everybody's lot. There's a really good movie. I I don't like Matthew McConaughey, but there's a really good movie. I played part of the... uh, the introduction to this hour was from the movie about a guy named Newton Knight. And Newton Knight was a poor white farmer in the South. And Newton Knight led a rebellion during the Civil War with a group of other like-minded white men in southeast Mississippi. They banded together with poor white people and runaway or former slaves or current slaves that had had a uh, I guess you could say run, ran away. You know, they were in the process of, of, of running away. And um, these poor white people and these, these, these black slaves, um, including white people who didn't agree that slavery should be ended, they just didn't agree with how the Confederacy was taking their property, taxing them, et cetera. They were upset about what the Confederacy, Confederacy was doing. Well, they weren't necessarily anti-slavery. So there in Jones County, Mississippi... Newton Knight, poor white farmer with a bunch of other poor white people. Some just didn't like the Confederacy, didn't necessarily believe that slavery should be ended. But they fought alongside of black people, runaway slaves and freed slaves. And they seceded from the Confederacy. This isn't just a movie. This is based on a real historical event. It's called the Free State of Jones, Jones County, Mississippi. And they waged guerrilla warfare against the Confederacy and declared loyalty to the Union. These were poor white people who were upset about both slavery and about the condition of southern states taxing, stealing, etc. to fund the war, which is also where the income tax came from, thanks to Samuel P. Chase of of Chase Manhattan Bank, uh, who was uh, Treasury Secretary under Lincoln. Both sides, Union and Confederates, had, had to deal with this taxation problem, how to finance the war. But this white poor farmer with other poor white people with runaway slaves and freed slaves declared war on the Confederacy deep in the South in Mississippi, seceded from the South and declared that they were loyal to the union and white and black people hand in hand. We could probably glorify this a little bit too much, but white and black people together fought against the Confederacy for any number of reasons, just like people in the North fought to preserve the union, not to end slavery, but, At the end of the day, the institution of slavery had to be abolished. And as it was, and it started in D.C. when the slaves were freed on votes from the House and the Senate of Congress. The federal government of this country, even going back to the early 1800s when slavery was prevented from expanding westward. This country ended an institution that has lasted and scarred humanity, lasted for thousands of years. We, we don't have the context to understand what true freedom and true equality are because we have it so good in America, whether you're black or white, even if you're poorer, we don't know what it's like to live in a condition other than that. And we really, really desperately need to understand this and put this into perspective because if we don't, what's happening today is modern segregation, modern Jim Crow, Modern Ku Klux Klan. They're just using different skin colors, genders and sex to advance their political agenda, which ultimately means they have power. You don't. They're wealthy. You're not. They want to create a giant golden circle or a slave empire, which the knights of the golden circle, the Ku Klux Klan, wished to do Uh, a slave empire that goes all the way down to Cuba up through the deep south into even the north. That was the goal of some. And that was thwarted because of a civil war and because of people like Lyman Trimble. You need to know these names and understand this history so we can understand what's happening today. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Stay with us.
0: listening to the secret teachings for more information on the show or to contact ryan visit the or email ryan at rdgable at
2: yahoo.com hey this is john peasy at johnpeasy.com and i'm here with ryan gable from the secret teachings it's the secret teachings one of the homes of the original super bowl analysis airing exclusively five nights a week on ground zero radio
1: www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today.
0: Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google
2: Play and the iOS App Store. You could listen to this.
0: And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence.
1: This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. So I wanted to do tonight's show on what we've been discussing because this Sunday into Monday, June 19th into the 20th, is Juneteenth. Juneteenth is a federal holiday in the United States commemorating emancipation, emancipation of enslaved African-Americans. It's also observed for celebrating African-American culture. It originated in Galveston, Texas. And it's been celebrated in different parts of the country since 1865, Juneteenth. Now, I have to think, even if it's temporarily, that Juneteenth today is certainly not the Juneteenth of 50 years ago or 100 years ago. That's just a thought that I have, because Juneteenth today is, uh, I mean, I I, I guess it's it's okay to celebrate... um, the emancipation of slavery, if, if you're black or if you're white. I, what, what's weird to me is that white people, and I'm not saying all white people, just a handful of white people, I'm, I'm not trying to put people into categories here. I'm just, because of the subject, I have to literally say black and white. But it's weird that white people today seem to be taking this samboistic view of themselves where they, they put themselves under a random black person. And I don't know if it's because they honestly believe that they're guilty of something and that the person that they're figuratively or literally kneeling to has had something done by them to, to, I, I, I don't know. Is it a, is it a misunderstanding of social justice A misappropriation of social justice? What is it? I don't get why white people feel guilt. Why? Why do you feel guilty? What did you do? I don't understand how black people feel as if they are they are being oppressed. What what is oppressing you? Oh, what cops? You know, they they go after black people. I, I I've been arrested. I've gone I've gone to 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 uh, um to the back of a squad car before. Oh, but if you were black, this would have happened. Well, how about how about this? If you're a man, black or white, you will spend more time in prison if you commit the same crime as a woman and the same crime to the same degree as the woman, white or black. What I don't understand is, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm more of a libertarian, sort of, but not really, but sort of. And I don't understand how People said Donald Trump was a racist when Donald Trump gave nonviolent drug offenders, predominantly black, a second chance. When they were put there by the Democratic Party and Joe Biden in the 90s. I'm not saying George Bush Sr. was any better. George Bush and the Reagan administration, they ran the war on drugs. I interviewed Freeway Ricky Ross. The real Rick Ross, not the rapper who went to college and worked as a prison guard. The real Rick Ross, who was involved in selling and and, and distributing drugs to the tune of millions, tens of millions of dollars, essentially for the federal government. And uh, Freeway Rick Ross, again, the real Rick Ross, he, uh, he's been on the show three times. I haven't, I haven't talked to that guy forever. Guarantee you he doesn't remember me, but... I remember interviewing him, and 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 I had talked to him about um, you know the war on drugs, and there's clearly, clearly there was a systemic attempt to degrade, demean, and demoralize, and to destroy black communities through the distribution of things like cocaine in mostly the inner city. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt that there was a an intention to destroy black communities furthermore with weaponized hip hop because hip hop is, is not a, I know a lot of people hate hip hop, but hip hop is, is a, is a really beautiful art form. I'm not talking about gangster rap and like Lil John and the East side boys and ha, you know, the yin, Yang twins. I'm talking about like real true hip hop. It's an art form. It's poetry. It's beautiful. Um, It's not the same as like hose and, Stuff like that, which you're going to find in every other form of music, rock music, country music. They just use different words, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing. So there's no doubt that music has been used to create this cultural stereotype of the black man or the black woman. And black people that listen to that and portray those stereotypes, there's a name for that. It's called Samboism. And I know that a lot of white people are, are creating their own form of Samboism today. Talk about appropriation. They're appropriating the targeting of black communities for themselves because, oh, I'm actually a victim of my, of my own ancestry, so I'll kneel to you, black king, and I'll do what you want me to do, black king. And I, I just don't get that. And it, it, I think it was the rapper Bryson Gray, he said, you know, black people call themselves kings, but as soon as something happens that doesn't go their way. They blame the white man. You know? I think we could say the same thing about Native Americans. You know, white people had deals with Native Americans. They traded with Native Americans. They they had families with Native Americans. The goal wasn't to exterminate Native Americans. Did that happen? Yeah, but Native Americans also unprovoked attacked colonists. You could say, oh, it's not unprovoked because they took their land. Well, based on... Traditional Native beliefs, nobody owns the land. Nobody owns the water. Nobody owns the sky. Nobody owns the trees. Nobody owns the rocks. Nobody owns the mountains and the valleys. So based on that traditional ideology of what we're told about Native American culture, it belongs to everybody anyway, right? White people got along fine with Natives. It it wasn't an intentional slaughter, in the same way that uh, when Jamestown was founded, or Plymouth, uh, about 13 years later, no, they didn't bring like, African-American slaves with them and told them, get to work, start chopping down these tr- trees, start planting these crops. Um, those people came here because of religious persecution. They wanted equality and fairness and freedom to practice what they believed. And if you read the 1619 Project, which is just talk about abortion, it's an abortion of history. Um, it even says like, well, the, the first ship that came, it was a surprise. So how is it that <laughs> this was supposed to be a, a slave nation, but the first ship carrying slaves came as a surprise? They didn't know it was coming. It, the world for thousands of years, despite the fact that there were the Essenes, despite the fact that there were Templars and others, like real, the original Templars and others, that were of the belief that men and women were equal and all races and everything, everybody was equal. So, That's a, a very rare, rare conviction in history. We take that for granted today. Otherwise, the entire world, virtually every culture, every society has been... Talk about racist. I mean, the Japanese people have traditionally been hyper racist and xenophobic. They're still pretty xenophobic today. I don't want to talk about the average Japanese person. I'm just saying like traditionally that culture has been extremely xenophobic and rightfully so. Now look at Japan. Japan is becoming a Western nightmare like most of the Middle East is. It Doesn't mean that they don't like it, but I, we have to stop reducing everything to these black and white racist arguments because nothing is that simple. There were black people 200 years ago that owned slaves. Did you know that? So does that mean I'm owed reparations from the next black person? I see it's preposterous. Absolutely preposterous. Totally absurd. People like Lyman Trumbull in Congress authored the 13th Amendment to abolish slavery. The guy was white. Congress voted prior to the Civil War, at the time when the war was just beginning, that the slaves in D.C. would be emancipated. Both houses of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives, both voted for this. You know that whole three-fifths compromise thing? You understand that that wasn't to degrade black people because if black people weren't humans, they wouldn't have been counted at all. And that was kind of the point. That was the argument. That was the issue. You had some states saying, well, we'll just count black folks. We'll just count slaves and we'll just bring more slaves in so that we can count more people in the population to get more representatives in Congress to protect the institution of slavery. You understand the three fifths compromise was literally a compromise to end slavery or to at least prevent it from further gaining power and, and control, because those that were opposed to slavery said, how can you own a human being and then not consider them a human, obviously because you consider them property, and then yet want to count them as a person in order to gain political power? We'll agree that you can count them as three-fifths. And until the Civil War, the Democratic Party dominated politics and slavery was maintained and even grew, and anybody who spoke out against it lost a political career, they lost business, they could lose family members, friends. Now today, we have the opposite. If you don't take the hardcore belief that white people are evil, suddenly, well, you're a racist slave owner, of course. And if you're black and don't believe that and believe that you have the same opportunity, you can go get a doctorate, you can become a lawyer, you can do pretty much whatever you want in terms of a job and education Well, then you're also an Uncle Tom and you're relegated to the swamps of Mississippi with Newton Knight, Newton Knight, the poor farmer who got together with other poor white people, some anti-slavery, some abolitionists, some just didn't like the Confederacy. And they declared secession from the Confederacy and worked to free black folks and worked with runaway slaves in order to fight against the Confederacy and form a union with the Union. All white people are not bad folks. Newton Knight, Limble, Trum, uh, Lyman Trumbull, have you even heard these names before? Doesn't that matter? Doesn't that mean something? Newton Knight was like Francis Marion, the, the Swamp Fox. Um, you ever watch The Free State of Jones? It's basically the Patriot of, uh, for the Civil War. Guerrilla War... And guerrilla warfare and 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 uh, killing Confederates, stopping the Confederates from taking property and taxing, and that affected the North. That affected the South because of some greedy, powerful slave owners. Well, now we have a <laughs> an income tax, and these are the same people that, after the Civil War, after the Emancipation Proclamation, which was initiated by Republicans in Congress. Lincoln didn't really want to do anything because he said that he believed in uh, the separation of the races. And some people were some people were anti-slavery. Some people were pro-slavery. Some people were anti-slavery. But let's send the African-Americans back to where we took them from. And some people just wanted to completely abolish the idea of inequality in society. People thought like that back then. You're not unique for thinking that the people you know who think that are not unique individuals. It is not a unique point of view to think that all people are created equally. All people have the same opportunities. The United States of America is one of the first places in the history of the world to legislate that slavery is illegal. And do you know who did it? A white man wrote the 13th Amendment. A white man led the charge to abolish this horrid institution. So do not tell me that you are special, that you are an important person, that you have a revolutionary idea for equality. When I can take you back to the freaking Magna Carta hundreds of years ago and show you that you are wrong, that you are not a unique individual for holding that viewpoint and those beliefs, it does not make you special. It does not make you righteous. It makes you sound like an arrogant, pompous, historically ignorant prick. The Magna Carta, 13th century, noblemen could only act in accordance with the law. The poor had the same rights as the wealthy, and the wealthy had to abide by the same law that the poor abided by. Due process, something that is important and comes from English law, but sort of unique in the United States, the Fifth Amendment says the federal government has no power to deprive you of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Some white slave owners thought that that meant you couldn't deprive them of their property. And in a sense, I'm not a proponent of slavery, folks, but they were right at the time, sort of, because they considered slaves property. So you had to argue or if slaves are not property, then you know they have a right to life, liberty, and, and their own property. But some people didn't see blacks as humans, so that's where the discrepancy, of course, comes from. Then the 14th Amendment, which came as part of Reconstruction after the 13th Amendment, written by Lyman Trimble, the 14th Amendment was the Civil Rights Act of 1868. Did you know that the Civil Rights Act was not passed by Democrats? It was passed by Republicans in 1868, three years after the 13th Amendment. And then there was the 15th Amendment, passed in 1870. That's voting rights. Do you know that The Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Fair Housing Bill of 1968, all these wonderful Democratic, oh, they're so equal. They believe in equality. You're such good people. You understand that that was all based on what the Republican Party did during the era of Reconstruction. Desegregation, anti-discrimination laws relied on the notion that blacks were not slaves, and freedom could be secured through the abolition of slavery in 1865, written by a white man in Congress named Lyman Trimble, which was one of the most outspoken abolitionists who believed in the equality of both races, contrary even to what the Republican President Abraham Lincoln, who gets all the credit, believed. There should be a statue of Lyman Trumbull in Boise, Idaho, next to the Black History Museum, not a statue of Abraham Lincoln. There should be a statue of Lyman Trumbull. Not Abraham Lincoln, because Abraham Lincoln was more of a moderate who didn't really want to do anything about it because he would offend other political points of view. The Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Fair Housing Bill of 1968, both based on the 14th Amendment, the original Civil Rights Act. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was based on the 15th Amendment, which was the original Voting Rights Act of 1870. So think about it for a second. The Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Fair Housing Bill of 1968, and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were just copy and pasted from the 14th and 15th Amendments. The 14th Amendment was a Civil Rights Act, and the Voting Rights Act was the 15th Amendment. And they were passed by Republicans almost exclusively. So then you get this, all the parties changed. Well, black people originally, initially voted Republican after the war when they got a right to vote. But if you watch the Free State of Jones, they have this this nice dramatization to show that when black people went to vote with their white, you know, their, their white brothers, uh, the Democrats in charge said, we ain't got no Republican tickets. You can't vote because we know that you're going to vote us out of power. We ain't got no Republican tickets, boy. So you're going to have to wait a long, long, long time to vote. We don't care if it's the law. You can say, oh, that's the Republican Party because they changed sides, but it kind of sounds like what the Democratic Party does today, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like you either support Black Lives Matter or you're racist. It kind of sounds like you vote Democrat or you ain't black. Parties never change sides, but people started voting for different parties because the Democratic Party promised uh, free stuff. They created a new plantation, a new plantation where black people would be given just enough to get by, if that, kept in the slums, in the ghettos, in the hoods, and drilled with this ideology that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. You are no longer a slave, but you have to live in this condition and we'll give you just enough so you don't really have to work as long as you keep voting to put us in power. A resubjugation of the black race by a powerful, elite, white class. And this is what Missouri Republican Frank Blair Jr. warned about. He said, we cannot have emancipation of the slaves. Why? Because if we did that, we would also need the, quote, presence of an immense army sufficient to keep or sufficient to prevent the white race from re-enslaving the black and by waging a constant war upon the people of our race for the protection of the black race. This guy knew this, This Frank Blair Jr., this Missouri Republican, knew this over a hundred years ago. That if we don't have people to stop these powerful, rich, arrogant, ignorant white people from enslaving blacks, they would continue to do it. Regardless of what the law says. And furthermore, they would wage a war on white people. This is what he said, Frank Blair Jr., By waging a constant war upon the people of our race, white people, for the protection of the black race. This is precisely what social justice movements do today. And they'll also attack you if you're black, which is what the Ku Klux Klan did, which came into power after the Civil War, mostly made of democratic politicians. And they not only went after black people, they also went after white people who disagreed a white terrorist group who attacked black people but also targeted whites if they disagreed. BLM, although they might not be as violent as the Ku Klux Klan, their ideology is very similar. They are mostly blacks that, well, they're not really, they're actually mostly white, but they go after white people for being white. But if you're black and you don't agree, well, you might not be lynched, but you certainly are socially and culturally assassinated. You know that there were 3,500 black people lynched from 1862 to 1968. Of those 3,400, 3,500 black folks, they were accompanied by about 1,300 white folks who were lynched. Did I mention that Lyman Trumbull wrote the 13th Amendment? A white man wrote the amendment to abolish slavery. Did I mention that these same white men also signed the first Civil Rights Act in 1868. That would become the 14th Amendment that almost 100 years later, uh, the Democratic Party would say, no, we have the Civil Rights Act, 1964. No, the original Civil Rights Act is the 14th Amendment. That's the original Civil Rights Act. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the states wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, and as Joe Biden said, you know the rest. That's the privileges and immunities clause, as they call it in constitutional law. Abolition of slavery, 1865; Civil Rights Act, 1868; Voting Rights, 1870. All by the Republican Party. All they switch sides. They switch sides. Okay, well, if they if they switch sides, why doesn't the Democratic Party just take? responsibility for the 13th 14th and 15th amendment why did they have to redo them with the civil rights act of 64 1964 and the voting rights act of 1965 and the fair housing bill of 1968 why did they have to re- redo these things i mean i mean it, yeah that's my argument but there's a lot more to it than that i mean uh, after the war uh there was something called the Freedman's bureau that attempted to settle blacks on plantations that were taken by union troops but the president at the time, Andrew Johnson, who was a blazing racist, issued pardons to those plantation owners to void that form of reparations, which at the time, sure, reparations. Yeah, I'm all about it. And the GOP tried to do that. They appointed military governors in the South that had power to override local authorities. As a result, 1,500 blacks won federal, state and local elections. Well, that's due to what? The Voting Rights Act of uh, 1870. Including Blanche K. Bruce, a Republican and the first black senator from Mississippi to serve a full term. Mississippi's also that place down there with Jones County that seceded from the Confederacy with both blacks and whites fighting together. He was also the only former slave to serve in the U.S. Senate. He was born into slavery and freed He studied at Oberlin College and became a farmer and land owner. That is Blanche Bruce. Obviously, Martin Luther King Jr. was a powerful voice, but before him, people like Frederick Douglass, also a Republican, said, it is evident that white and black must fall or flourish together. In light of this great truth, laws ought to be enacted and institutions established, all distinctions founded on complexion and every right, privilege and immunity now enjoyed by the white man ought to be as freely granted to the man of color. And in fact, it was in the 13th and 14th and 15th Amendments. So was the Civil War fought over slavery? No. It was over economics and secession from the preservation of the Union. That was the main driving force. It was over money, power, and banking as well there's a lot more to it than just the simple black and white history that we're told and racism was not the fault of the south i don't see the confederate flag as this racist symbol personally i don't see the south as this racist place i'm from the south i'm so i'm from so far in the south i might as well be north i'm from i'm from uh, the the central to south florida i was born in st petersburg the south is not racist folks and There's been a re-enslavement of all people, especially black people, through uh, what what, what was called a positive good by people like John Calhoun. An attitude that enacted a racial caste system known as white supremacy. John Calhoun invented the positive good where slavery was considered good for the masters because the slaves couldn't read or write. They needed somebody to take care of them. This is what the Democratic Party does today. The Democratic Party established... Political hegemony in the South by granting social and psychological parameters for white supremacy. The idea is racist and it persuaded many poor white people to take on the ideology because they're part of the club. Vote blue no matter who. Others were considered members of a lower dark class, the blacks or any other working with political opposition that ended slavery and that wanted to end enslavement and segregation as a whole. And one of the groups that did this was the Ku Klux Klan the Ku Klux, the Greek word for circle, the golden circle that they wanted to create to this massive slave colony. But that was not um, that was not the case. That did not happen. This is not a slave nation. Republicans then passed the Ku Klux Klan Acts of 1871, the force bill signed by President Ulysses Grant, who believed in, quote, an invisible empire throughout the South, and there certainly was an invisible empire, George Bickley founded a secret order known as the Knights of the Golden Circle to promote Southern interest. His plan called for a land grab radius of around 2,000 miles to be a massive slaveholding plantation empire. It would stretch into the Caribbean, Mexico, and Central America. The Golden Circle was the foundation of the Ku Klux Klan. Segregation was then institutionalized in the 1880s but not fully established until the 20th century. Then we had Jim Crow. And all of this is an expansion, an extension, a response to the abolition of slavery, to the 13th Amendment written by the very white Lyman Trumbull, the Civil Rights Act of 1868, the 14th Amendment, and the Voting Rights Act of 1870, the 15th Amendment. Historian George Fredrickson said it perhaps best. The one thing that held the Democratic Party together was a commitment to maintaining white supremacy, and now they simply project it on you. A single white person owning a slave without a face, we don't know who these people are, makes me guilty, but a white man literally abolishing slavery through the most powerful legislative body in the world with other white people who agreed doesn't absolve me of that genetic Marxist guilt. William Penn who founded Pennsylvania, wrote a Charter of Privileges in 1701, long time before the Civil War or the American Revolution, and he wrote in that charter that he believed all were equal, including blacks, and spoke against the institution of slavery. You can actually read that. Germantown's Friends Protest Against Slavery, 1688. And then the Charter of Privileges in 1701. It's a fascinating history that We're not told about it's a fascinating history that you need to know about because whether it's desirable or otherwise attempting to classify history by current definitions expectations societal norms today is a condemnation of ourselves because we'll eventually fall victim to the future to the ignorance that we'll look back and say well those people in the past were very ignorant the American Revolution was not fought to maintain slavery any more than the Civil War was fought exclusively to end it history is not black and white. And if you are white you are not a slave owner you are not racist you do not have guilt you do not need to feel inferior to anybody and if you're black same thing you don't need to feel inferior to anybody we're human beings we have a rule of law that we fought to create and maintain and there are those certainly who wish to abolish due process that wish to abolish things like civil rights and voting rights and undermine the power of those institutions. And if the Republican and Democratic Party switched, now the, the Democrats are they're not doing a very good job of, of uh, preserving what they claim to be preserving because they seem to be acting like the Democrats of the pre-, during-, and post-Civil War. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Thesecretteachings.info is the website. $40 for one year. Donate on our website. You'll get access to the whole archive, montages, digital books, etc. You support this show... You keep us on air five nights a week. Grab a copy of one of my books like Occult Arcana or The Technological Elixir at thesecretteachings.info. Email us, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. It's Juneteenth this weekend. I want you to remember what we talked about tonight. Think about it. Process it.